All right, I guess we're live. Just want to make sure. Um, and we are live. All right, so good evening, everybody. I'm Dustin Coiner from Track Days and CRA here in Southern California. And uh, another segment of Ask a Superbike Genius with Richard Stamboli of the Fresh and Lean Attack Yamaha Progressive. Progressive. Yeah, yeah all that. Can't believe after this much time, you still can't get it right. I still fuck it up every time. It's it's a mouthful, man. Like, whatever. See, it's still off-season, so it's Attack Yamaha. Yamaha. It's, it's actually yes. didn't have any Attack performance in the, in the name at all. Yeah, it's presented by Attack Performance, right? Yeah. Kind of, yeah. All right, and so what, what's up, Richard? <laughs> just had a little... Man. Just had a little test last week, a couple of days uh, with both the guys. So let's talk about it, yeah? Sure. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> Ask some questions. Well, you know what? You have uh, you had Cam P riding the 600 the first day, so that was kind of different. Yeah, so we spent a whole day on the R6, which, which kind of threw his rhythm off on day two, but that was okay. We needed to get that out of the way. So, uh, yeah, we went through uh, a bunch of different things, and the R6 actually had... Uh, taken the team and uh, modified it a bit. Really? Two, my two best R6 guys, which was uh, Will, which you, I think you had on last night. Yeah. And Canfield. And uh, Canfield, he takes really good notes. So I had him kind of manage that whole thing. I can Then I was able to go and be Mr. Put on my engineering hat and go play engineer on the on the Superbike. Nice. While Cam ran around with the R6. And like I said, we made some headway with that thing. He was super comfortable with it by the end of the day, and then we switched to uh, Superbike on day two. Yeah. But, uh, spent the whole day with, with Jake in a fairly regimented uh, test plan that was, you know, this, you know, my, the everything kind of fits together as you go down the list. Yeah. So watch it, watching Cam on, you know, I'm, I'm your timing bitch, right? So. Uh, well, you were the timing bitch. You were like crash truck bitch too, man. I added in. Bitch, you were you were like the lunch truck bitch. Lunch you're, truck, you're get the, the fuck out of here with the lunch truck thing. Come on, man. Well, My name's like Glenn. Come on, oh man. no, no, we made we made uh, Greg the lunch the lunch guy last night. That's time. right. It wasn't yeah, me, I'm, man. Uh, so he was the lunch bitch. Right. And yeah. uh, now you're like the uh, the promo bitch over here. So right. You know, when you have way too many bitch titles, you're just a bitch. Uh, yeah, that's great, Richard. Appreciate that, buddy. Yeah, thanks. You keep calling yourself those things. No, but, uh, you know, so I, I'm in timing. You know, I'm running timing for you guys. So, you know, there's live timing up on the app and everything. And, uh, you know, yeah, watch. There's no BS going on. There's no, uh, there's no there's Joe no dipshit on the. Stopwatch. Yeah, the super fast stopwatches are not existent at these tests. And, you know, it's uh, it was really impressive watching Cam try to come to terms with the 600 again because he hasn't ridden it since Daytona last year and uh, you know I watched him getting a little greedy with the thing too and uh, yeah, yeah he almost flipped himself off it didn't he yeah he had to check his shorts after that one for sure well you remember <laughs> we were on Daytona tires on a regular track oh nice nice yeah so but we did mount it backwards so the right side was the hard side you know because we were going clockwise yeah and uh, yeah, so it was, that was fun. I'm glad he didn't smash it up, but uh, yeah, he, uh, he enjoyed it at the end. You know, we tried a few different yeah. things. We tried new shock. We uh, we tried some a few changes in the front end and some throttle grip stuff and and uh, a couple different tires and some air pressures and stuff we learned from from World Superbike. Yeah, 
And uh, yeah, so I mean, all that stuff carries over, right? So right. things that you go, oh, wow, we can really run that on this bike. And so, yeah, all that was a plus. And so looking forward to going to Daytona, yeah. And uh, you had Will on last night, right? Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, we were talking about uh, Camp P maybe having some surgical maintenance done. Yeah, he's having his, 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 he's got an arm pump issue. So he's having that looked at this week and then he may not be able to make the next test, but he'll be, he'll be good to go for Daytona. Right on. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I think he might've been today, Wednesday. It is right. Yeah. Yeah. He's having it done today. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I'll give him a buzz tomorrow and see how, he, how he's doing. But, uh, anyway, so yeah, that was it. So you had Will on and they, man, you're on like every day now. Dude, it's not when, every, just, gonna, when are you going to interview our FedEx guy and, and give him grief about getting our packages here? You know what, man? I don't know your FedEx guy, but you know, you want me to have a one way conversation with him, I will. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, Will Will's a funny, funny character on the team, and it, you know, it's, it's hard not to like that guy, you know. Yeah, uh, but he, but he did. Our team. We, we have a a real good cohesive team. Yeah, know? yeah. I mean, it's important, right? I mean, you guys spend so much of your time together. It's uh, it would suck if you guys didn't like each other. You know. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a strange. This is a strange job going racing. You know, it's it's fairly high pressure. Yeah. And, uh, but if you know how to handle the pressure, then it's it's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, definitely, I would say that I'd rather hire someone I can get along with. That can train than someone that knows everything that can't get along with right yeah well so a lot of a lot of a lot of the times that the people that say they know everything are the biggest dumbasses right they're full of crap yes <laughs> right uh, i'm being asked uh, uh bearded jixer wants to know if you guys are on the pirellis on the r6 again that's the way it's looking all right yeah, yeah. that's the way it's looking Oscar sent over some pretty good stuff, and I mean, I think Cameron went fast as he ever gone on hard tires, and I think it's looking pretty decent. So I think we're going to go with it, and hoping to do another World Superbike gig at the end of the year. Right on, yeah. Like, it's uh, the Daytona thing is pretty unique because it's the only Super Sport Moto America race that allows a tire, a little bit of a tire war. I wish they allowed a little bit more of a war, like fuel, tires. But see that, that goes back to my whole thing that I talked about, and I wish Moto America would adopt this, is that if you had a spec tire, which they expect you to do at Daytona, it's basically, they have to, they have to say which tires they have. They have to, uh, what is that? Um, you know, they have to tell them which compounds they're bringing. Yeah. And every team has the ability to buy those compounds or be sponsored those compounds or whatever. So for us to go to Daytona, I mean, we can have the pick of the litter as far as who we want for a tire company. Right. That's what it used to be in the old days. You know, when you had Michelin, you had Pirelli, and you had Dunlop, and you know, you might've had Bridgestone too in the paddock. Man, the, the, pro, the, the pro teams hardly ever bought tires. Right. And, and my thing has always been, uh, once you open it up, it'll be more better competition between the teams and make them bring a spec. That way everyone can get it. In the old days, you know, the Jim Allen days, the AMA days, yeah. there'd always be the hand builds, the specials, the short run prototypes that the factory guys were getting everybody else got the production stuff right sometimes they weren't any better but most of the time they were so it was kind of an un unbalanced thing but now i think the tire deal is pretty balanced you know it's having a spec tire i think it's good for competition but also 
it makes us all buy our tires. Yeah. You know, that makes that brings the cost up quite a bit. If we were going to multiple manufacturers with spec, that would that would probably open it up for a lot of sponsorship. Yeah, uh, bigger grids again, you know, maybe. Yeah, I mean, if you could save the tire budget, that would really free you up for travel. Right, right. So i got a couple of comments on, on here. Um, we kind of already answered the Pirelli thing, but Ty Bankford, um, your favorite viewer, uh, he says it's day 365 of him asking uh, for a superbike ride. <laughs> yeah, I met that dude once, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that, was that 365 days ago? I don't know. Like, I, I think he's asked 365 times, maybe. <laughs> oh, oh, maybe. I don't know, because I think it was before that. Yeah, I mean, a couple of years, right? I think so. I don't know. And then uh, Ro Robbie uh, Jalera, I think. If, sorry if I spelled if I pronounced that incorrectly, but he wants to know if we're going to sell pitch shirts again for the Daytona. That's and the plan. I, I believe we are going to sell pitch shirts again. Uh, uh, the team has ordered the shirts that we're using for Daytona. And I'm sure we're going to have a pre-order thing up again pretty soon for those. It's a matter of putting it up on the site, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll sort that out on the Attack Yamaha page at some point uh, in the near future. And, yeah, you could pre-order it. Likely you won't have your shirt by Daytona, but you'll have it after, and it'll be exact stuff that we're using. So I believe, right? Mm -hmm. Or am I crazy? All right. No, the exact same shirt. Yes, the exact same shirt. Um, they're not exactly the, they're not the same as the World Superbike ones, and they're not the same as the ones that uh, that we had at Daytona last year. We haven't even announced livery for Daytona yet, right? Nope. Yeah. Hasn't made a real official announcement. Period. Yeah. Everyone's a little busy. Yeah, maybe we should work on a press release or something. Nah, there's people for that. I think I think uh, Andrea won. Andrea won, but I'm pretty sure Yamaha Racing's been super busy with Supercross startup, and you know the Daytona thing is like eh, it's kind of a side gig for us compared to the full season. Uh, Ty Ty wants to know if that if he beats me at Podium Club, can he take my place as the uh, resident slacker on the attack team? I don't know what the resident slacker does other than be a slacker. Wow, dude. <laughs> fucking rough, dude. I thought he was going to take over his tiny bitch, maybe. Or maybe he wants fire extinguisher bitch, you know? No, no. That's another subject coming up, I'm sure. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, okay. So you, so you talked about... Yeah, so you talked about doing this regimented test. You know, talk a little yeah. bit about what that means. Like, I know you had a list of things that you went through, but... You want to talk a little yeah, bit about so that? Yeah, so basically it's, it's, a, it's a list of things uh, that what happens is uh, I'll sit there and look at the data after a test. Like, so in January, we introduced a new swing arm. And here, I got, I got props this time, right? Uh-oh. Richard's so, bringing props, everybody. Check this out. I see the full picture. I don't know why. I only see part of it, but you can probably see the whole thing live. Yeah, you can see the whole but thing anyway, live. Anyway, so this, was, this was, it actually goes like this. This is the drive side. The chain goes through here. Okay. And so we're able to... Machine this one piece out of some special alloy, and then we weld it together. And then the thickness and the various sections and how, how it transitions on the ribs here will give it a flex character. So we kind of worked a little bit on that based on what we learned the last couple of years. And then, uh, you know, we, we, uh, then we went to track and we played around with the length, the swing arm length, the swing arm pivot position, and things like that. So 
the first test we we gathered a bunch of data yeah so all it was about was go ride give us your your negatives positives so the positives were shitload more grip acceleration uh acceleration grip but instability so then we had to go back and look at that and model the bike and see what caused instability pull up a bunch of data and for us it was uh, uh we could point to was couple things a the track was pretty dirty so when you did spin the tire it spun fairly aggressive right and two uh the uh what we call the anti-squat wasn't because the, the the way the swing arm link and the length and all that stuff was was acting on the chassis when you had uh, the anti-squat was kind of fighting there wasn't enough anti-squat so there was fighting the engine was trying to accelerate so hard it was fighting the, the rear tire's ability to extend, and mainly when it was topped out. So it was really hard to see on the data because everything was pretty much against the top-out spring. Okay. Top-out spring is a spring on the shock that keeps the shock from going bang when the, when the swing arm opens. You know, when the swing arm drops under acceleration, it, it or extends under acceleration, the, uh, the top-out spring keeps it from going bang. So, uh, so once we got all that info, realized what was happening, and it was basically a tire would spin on the backside of a bump. And it, the bumps aren't small things. They're like big rollers, right? Yeah. Like coming out of that turn two area, whatever you call that. that yeah. Off-ramp. 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 Okay. They got names. Why do they put numbers on those, on those corners? I don't know, man. We talk about this every time we go to Button Willow, though. I can't remember any of those names. It's like, like off-ramp, grapevine, cotton corners, wheelie bump, bus stop, no, riverside, you know, sweeper, Phil Hill. There's some S's you guys call something. There's the a, S's. that off-ramp thing we call turn two. Yeah. And the last turn, I don't know what that's called. Sunset. Sunset. Okay, yeah. All right. Well, turn one is sunrise. That last turn going clockwise and then that tur second turn going clockwise has a, a series of rolling bumps. Right? Yeah. Says, yeah. And so the bike has to accelerate over those, not lose traction. And especially when you're about, let's say, from 50 to 45 degrees in that range, where you're still turning a little bit and you're fighting for grip. And so we, uh, so we put together a, a test where we would go through uh, a couple pivot height changes to see what our offset, what our pivot height would, uh, adding more anti-squat and how that would help with uh, extending the swing arm over these bumps. And also, since we were running in that top-out range quite a bit, we went through a series of top-out springs, which meant John was in the truck most of the time. You know, when you do a top-out spring, you got to dismantle the whole shock and then pump yeah. it oil it isn't like doing a valve the valve you can do basically with a thing laying outside you degas it pull the valve out change the shim put the valve in gas it again you're done but when you do a top out spring it's pretty much a full shock rebuild let's say yeah and so he was pretty much in the truck and we had a series of different top out springs we tried and uh as well as uh swing on pivot location and we we're able to uh maintain the acceleration and actually improve and have stability where the riders were pretty happy with it and then after that we went to uh, some front end changes once we got the rear we also played a little bit with ballast because we're going to design a new gas tank for the for the bike and so we're, we're going to the next step which uh is to move some of the some of the fuel kind of like what motor gp has yeah and um some of the fuel closer to what motor gp does and with with our limitations of being a street bike and um That'll help us with some of the braking and and acceleration. So uh, as we added ballast to where we think we're going to put the fuel, we had a positive there too. So hmm. 
we just kept doing that until some ballast in certain areas was they couldn't feel the difference you couldn't see it on the data really and other places was you know it slowed some of the action on the bike and and they were able to maintain that acceleration the electronics were able to not cut as much so the bike accelerate harder so, so you know we're squeezing the crap out of the, this r1 because you know the other bikes are, are a newer generation motorcycle like the ducati and the bmw and they make a bit more power than we do but we're able to accelerate so much harder that uh, the power is irrelevant right right well, I, I got a couple more questions about your swing arm, actually, from people. Um, 848 Evo wants to know if uh, if you're anodizing the swing arm when it's finished. No. It's way harder to maintain afterwards. If you wanted to straighten it, fix it, you know, do whatever with it, uh, the anodizing just ruins all anything you could possibly weld. You'd have to strip it, re-anodize it. It's not worth it. Any kind of scratch, it'll stick out like a sore thumb. Right. So now we leave it raw, you know, prototype style, and we use a decal over the outside of it, the whole thing to put the number and the sponsors and things like that. So if it does hit the ground, you got to remember these things aren't something you're going to put in your living room. They're going to be thrown down the road a few times, and you don't want to be building a new swing arm every time you crash the motorcycle. You, you, if you looked at a Moto 2 bike up close, those things are like somebody took a sandblast for them. The frames are all gravel rash, the swing arm is gravel rash, and right. they, just, they just clean up good. You know, those guys are constantly cleaning them up. And, same thing with these super bikes, you know, they, they get tossed down the road, you know, half a dozen times a year. So then, uh, uh, Irate Barry says he thinks the swing arms arrow hard, which would, he thinks it would look bitchin' if it was arrow hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there, there's that, you know, if we, <laughs> if we ever built a show bike, then that would be it. But like I said, it, it does, it's not very conducive to racing and being able to maintain it. Yeah, and Ty wants to know, uh, you know, I think everybody kind of knows the answer to this, but I'll let you say it anyway. But he wants to know if you're building those swing arms on your own with no external input from World Superbike teams or Yamaha directly, or do you get direction of what the World Superbike teams are doing and then build in from there? No direction. The only directions I've used lately is uh, Lego kits. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Have you ever built one of those damn things? It's been like a minute. 65 pages. You get all these little parts. You're like, how the hell did I put this thing together? No, we don't get any direction from uh, from World Superbike. We we compared some notes. You know, we're at uh, at Portimao, and I don't get to see those guys very often. Uh, they're super busy, and I'm not the kind of guy who's always calling them every five seconds, asking them for advice. Right. You know, every only time we ever kind of hook up. Is when they have a some new software, some development software, we'll, we'll send them some technical notes and questions through Yamaha US, and then Massimo, their electronics guy, will will pivot back to us. But I imagine if we shared a little more what we were doing, and they shared a little more, that you know, that I think the dialogue's open, but we don't want to be a burden to those guys. You know, we're we're doing fine the way we are. They're doing fine the way they are, and compare notes at the end of the year. That's all good. You know, but no, we do everything in house. There you go. That's yeah. We did we did test against one of their swing arms early on, like in twenty. Yeah. And and saw some benefit in what they were doing for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, I remember seeing their bikes and talking to their guys, and some of the stuff that you're doing wouldn't even work on their bike anyway because they're doing something completely different with the tank and subframe and everything else, right? Well, the rider's, the rider's tall. He's super aggressive on the brakes. But like, like I said before, we went to Portimao. We 
we learned a lot about the differences between our tracks and that track at least and how to use that front tire and so it it, it, it wasn't a shocker but we were definitely behind in the braking game with top racks right on it you know same with Locatelli and same with a bunch of guys there they're just maniacs on the brakes and so that's one of the things we worked on too because we know there's a new Dunlop coming and it's a, it's very much like that Pirelli, the 125 Pirelli. You know, it's very, very, uh, very good tire. But what we can tell, we put a bunch of laps on the fronts, and and it seems like it's going to step up everybody's game without a doubt. Yeah, and a lot of track records are going to fall next year, without Did, a doubt. They're going to go probably half second to second faster at every track. So I got a couple more questions before we start talking about tire stuff. But yeah. um, let's see. I'll let's just go to uh, Jonathan White wants to know uh why do you think yamaha uh c-pain test i think and honda moto gp are going back to aluminum swing arms yeah i saw that probably a feel feel thing it's gotta be a feel thing okay. you know, the only the only thing you can think of is is edge tire grip you know that type of thing because that's when the difference in material is going to make a difference you know rigidity i think you can get rigid, vertical rigidity with with Aluminum or carbon. If the carbon depends on how thick it is, it may be um, may not offer the same type of feel when it's on the side of the tire. I don't know. I haven't asked, but I did notice that. And it also looked like the Yamaha had a rib down the right side of it too, so that means they increased rigidity a little bit. I don't, can't see the top section of it. I imagine if I was nosy enough, I probably could find out. But you know, through whatever channels. Right. I mean, we had our little laugh about the weld on the MotoGP bike, right? They're prototypes, you know, nothing yeah. pretty in prototype land. They're just trying to get it done. Plus, and then, you know, there's, there's certain things, like certain alloys don't weld that pretty. Everything welds a little bit different. And so, yeah, if you're going to weld some 6063 railing for some, you know, booth you're building for an AIM Expo, then, yeah, the thing, you can make it really, really bitching. If you're going to weld the alloys we're welding on a swing arm, it's, it's a different animal. Sometimes they're hard to put together. Okay, so then uh, let's see. Matt Testa, he wants to know if he can get one of those cool linkage kits like I've got. Uh, which one did you get? One of our one of our links from the Superbike from nineteen or eighteen or something? Yeah. Probably. Uh, yeah. The problem with linkages and selling linkages is you sell this three, four, five hundred dollar part, and the guy will call you twenty times to figure out why his bike doesn't work. At the end, it turns out he doesn't know how to ride it or doesn't know how to turn on the clickers or whatever. That's why his bike doesn't work. So there's always that guy. and It just hasn't seemed to be super profitable for us to make linkages. We have done them in the past, but, you know, maybe, maybe since we have a lot of information for the Yamaha R1, maybe we can just give him a, you know, go-to manual. Here you go. This is what you need to do. And nice. Start there. And don't call us. We'll call you. And Ty says, oh, that's, that describes Maddie. He definitely doesn't know how to ride it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, dude! Nice, a little bit of little shots bit of fired. Shots I wasn't fired. To describe him. <laughs> I'm just telling you the overall perception. Look, I I thought you were talking about me, except you know I don't call you. I just I just suck writing, and I yeah, yeah, fight no, about I mean, it later. I wasn't talking about you because you don't ask for any advice. Yes, I do. I well, I don't have to because you just tell it to me. Yeah, then I laugh at you. Yeah, that too. That too. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so then um, Ty, Ty did ask, uh, do you think the swing arm 
design would change dramatically at all uh, when you changed tire brands. Yes, not dramatically, but yeah, there's a little bit of difference in the carcass flex and with that, you know, you got to kind of match the edge grip of the tire versus the swing arm movement and things like that, you know, if you have an issue in that area. Sometimes yeah. you can just put a different, different tire on it and you're good. You know, yeah. I, think, I think the tires are getting a little closer to each other too. You know, like I think like the Dunlop's next step on the front tire, I think it's a lot closer to the Pirelli front. The Pirelli front used to be the kind of the mushy front that you couldn't ride back in 2002. Uh, a long time ago, right? Yeah. Now six, seven, when we raced them uh, in, uh, we had Formula Extreme and Superstock, remember? And, yeah. And, uh, AMA. Yeah. And Chaz Davies and Steve Rapp, they were always going for the hardest possible front tire that Pirelli made whatever they called the SC3 at the time, or SC4. And the World Superbike guys at that time, in the you know, six, seven range, were complaining about the front. But now it seems like that front's pretty decent. I don't know how it is compared to the Michelin MotoGP tire, but it looks, I mean, it seems pretty good. It's got that giant, you know, that 125 front's crazy, right? Yeah, but it still turns. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not like the, it's not like the Pirellis of old uh, where they were, so soft that you know you'd be leaned over and the front tire would feel like it was peeling off the rim. I remember when I bought my first Yamaha uh, FZR thousand. Was that ninety eighty nine? And it came with a Pirelli MP seven or something like that. Remember the P seven Pirellis they made for sports cars? Yeah. MP seven. <laughs> the thing had a I think a one thirty front. The thing was terrible. Everybody, <laughs> everybody was raving about how good it was and. Until you got on, on like a Michelin slick or or a proper slick for racing, you're like, oh, this this tire's terrible. So they've come a long ways for sure. So there's a there's a guy uh, uh, is A48 Evo asking, you know, I think we've talked about you having an engine engineering background before, but he wants to know like how'd you learn how to build your own swing arm? Like, I mean, uh, I mean, it takes it takes a few things, right? You got to put all very carefully, like. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, experience is real big. You know, having the ability to, uh, the engineering ability to even imagine forces and, and think about things without putting it all in numbers. And then applying it all to CAD and then looking at all the FEA models and things like that. So it takes it takes some of the expertise, the skill, and, and uh, you know, some of the, a little bit of talent too being able to think about the dynamics of this thing and how it's working. So, I mean, just because you have an engineering degree doesn't mean you're gonna be able to design anything. Right. You know, it just means you you were a good student. And if people could see what's behind your computer that you're talking to me on right now, they would see your major in, no, behind your screen, like, yeah. Uh, the MotoGP bike uh, that you've made that's right there. Um, yeah, the, this side. Yeah, if they could see that, then they would see your other big project that you did and scored points in MotoGP. So, um, yeah, a couple points at Indy with wrap, you know. So yeah, that one was a full frame and and chassis. The whole the whole chassis was made here at the shop. Right. And so that was a bigger project. Looks so dated now. I mean, the stuff we're able to design and and make, the machinery and the programming is just keeps getting better. You know. Right. And the ability to, to draw parts, you know, you can, you can envision something, but 
if you can't draw it because the software won't do it, then it's kind of pointless. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's, you know what? I know you have a couple more props over there, but I wanted to talk yeah, a little so, yeah. yeah. So when we talk about swing arm pivot position, then we're talking about stuff like this, you know? So you have maybe this is a, this is an insert that we put in the swing arm pivot. Okay. See, so the, the pivot bolt goes through here. Yeah. And there's another, then there, here's another one. Let's say you see how that looks. Yeah. See how this one's zero, let's say, and this one's like a five, I think. So this can go up or down or, you know, whichever way. And that raises the pivot up and down and that changes your, uh, your anti-squat number. And that, that changes how much torque you can put to the rear wheel without, and, and still not have the bike sink in the back, let's say, under acceleration, still be able to cover, or uh, extend the swing arm and lock it out like a bicycle. Let's say, you know, like a mountain bike, you have a lockout. Yeah. You know, but uh, it doesn't work too good when you want to go over bumps, but it works pretty good when you're pedaling. Right. You know, the same kind of thing, your, your, your leg is, the, is the producing the torque like the engine, you're yanking on the chain, and if you don't have enough anti-squat, the bike will just sink and spin. You know, so then the other thing too, here's another, here's another prop. We actually machine the frames, you see that? Yeah. To accept that insert. Oh, wow. Right. So, so you can't just buy that insert and hope for the best. You gotta send you your frame. What's that? So if a customer wanted that uh, a capability, they'd literally have to send you the frame to do that. Yeah, we only do them a couple times a year. We try to batch them together because it's kind of a big project. It's not really worth it to do one. Okay. You know, so if we get like a dozen frames or something, then we just, we can set up the, the machine and it takes a big machine and it takes fixturing and you got to be accurate. So it takes time to set up. And then once you do it, you can run through all 10 of them, and make it worth it. You know, at least I think six is kind of break even. Anything below that, it's not worth it. Yeah. You know, like, uh, we'll, we'll stack up some of ours when we get them. We're getting, back, we're getting ready to do some right now, as a matter of fact, because we have our new frames for next year. And, uh, you know, people probably think we get new motorcycles every year, but. Generally, a super bike is a, is a culmination of parts. So if you change a frame and change a swing arm and put a fresh engine in it, guess what? You got a new motorcycle. Right. You, you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I see some people taking photos of, uh, of a bike with Jake's bodywork on it at, uh, at that show in Vegas. Oh, yeah, it was set up there. That was actually uh, Cameron's bike. Oh, was it? Number one plate on it. Okay. <laughs> But I mean, it's all, it's all the same. We've had one bike transfer from guy to guy. It depends on what gets smashed at what time. Right. You know, and the engines all rotate through. So it isn't like, ooh, you got Jake's engine. And, ooh, you got Jake's bike. It's, this bike is available for Jake. You put Jake's setting on it and away you go. I don't know. Some guys are really finicky. Jake's not. Neither is Cameron about which bike's what. Right. They can pretty much hop on each other's bike and do the same lap time. May have to take them a lap to get used to some little nuance. Right. But if you put the handlebars where they're supposed to be and you put the pegs in the same spot, which they both ride this exact same positioning, a little bit of change on the levers and the handlebar angle, and you're good to go. So Matt, Maddie's already trying to get in on the batch. <laughs> well, we've got to send the frame because we have, I think we got Flinders, and I think we're doing some for ADR, and then we're doing our own, and there might be maybe one for Westby, I'm not sure. And uh, I think we did enough for them for them last year. We did ours, I think, back in 18, 
And then Yamaha saw it when we were pitted next to them, and then uh, they're like, oh, we would like those, because ours is a pain in the ass. These are pretty easy, because they both inserts slide in from the outside, so you can basically change the insert to the pit wall if you wanted to. Push the axle, push the pivot out with an axle rod, and then you put the new pivot on the other axle, and you slip it back through, put the outside pivot in, tighten the nut, you're good. You know, so you can change the character of the bike pretty freaking quick. Probably Our guys probably do it in maybe two or three minutes. Wow. I mean, Whereas you're... Before, yeah. You, know, you have to pull the swing arm out and, you know, undo some nut or something like that, put the thing back together, slide it together, and it's pain in the ass. Dude, Maddie says he's bringing a swing arm, uh, bringing a frame tomorrow. <laughs> All right. And we won't make any fun of him either. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean... I think you should make fun of him. At least give him as much shit as you give me. Damn. I think I, I think we're we're a, you know even keeled shit giver to everyone. Oh, a hundred percent. You gotta have thick skin to hang out in this crew here. So yeah, yeah. So anyway, I mean, if you want me to show you a little bit of moto spec, yeah, I'll let's show you some of that some of those adjustments do. Yeah, let's talk about okay. it, man. I, we've been talking about doing that moto spec chat for a little while, so. Uh... Yeah, I mean, this is like maybe a teaser okay. because it's, uh, it's pretty involved, even though it's like a single page deal. But let me here, let me share the screen here. I'm going to put right. on my Gilbert glasses too so I can actually see something. All right. Can you see it? Uh, yep. Can see it now. Okay. So this is a uh, super stalker, I think from maybe Laguna 2016 or something. Okay. Right? So it came with all this stuff, like stock offset. So all these things are settings that you would put in here. And yeah. down here are the, are the numbers it spits out. Okay. And then I just put up this chassis thing here just so you can, guys can see what the, what, how it changes. But you can pick like, this, like the uh, front wheel rate, which is like how much force. You can pot the potential of force for the movement. I, I don't pay too much attention to that. But here's the front wheel force. And then here's maybe the rear wheel force. And... It's kind of this particular bike. I mean, the, the OE linkage is a little goofy, but uh, so here's like wheel shock ratio. This is like the linkage, uh, how it works. It'll start off stiff or it'll start off soft and go stiffer as it goes down. And then the Yamaha R1 kind of levels off and actually digresses at the end, which you'll never really get in this type of range. So I'm kind of running through this really fast. And then, uh, and then the chassis. So I'm going to put on none so you can just see the chassis here. So. When we're talking about swing arm pivot, what do we want to focus on? Swing arm pivot, that's kind of what kind yeah. of worked on some top out spring stuff, right? Yeah. So this is the rear settings here. And over here you have swing arm length. So the that super stock bike we pretty pretty much ran it at the end of the stroke everywhere we went because there wasn't any any length. And you you've done that too. Right. Right on yours. Right. And it's it's just better on the R1 to keep them on the long side. So as you experiment with swing arms, you go, okay, hey, long was good. So let's, let's go really long. Let's go 650. And then you can see what happens over here. Your center of gravity, this, this little dot here is kind of like your pretend center of gravity. Yeah. This is, and this is where your wheel went. And let me just zero this guy out. So, but what happened when you did that? So you can see how the wheel goes down and the chassis comes up. Yeah. Because the wheel is sliding down the swing arm, right? It doesn't go straight across, slide down the swing arm. So then the chassis goes up. So one of the first things that happens, this is your rake. So it went from 24.1 stalker, which isn't enough for, for a super bike, to 23.83. Now you've got a nervous, a nervous bike. 
you know, you're under 24, it's pretty nervous. And your trail numbers, it's still a pretty decent trail number because you have this offset. And again, we can go through all this stuff at some point and talk about offset and trail and all these things that change. But that, it's a lot to absorb. I mean, it's like a, you'd have to do like a 10 part thing. Oh, wow. You know, 10 hours worth of discussion over it, you know, because it's, it's quite a bit of work. And then two, you'll see that the swing arm slope, because the bike went up and the trail went down, you lost a little swing arm angle. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. You want the same shock. So basically, and then over here where it says uh, uh, anti-squat percent, because you made the bike longer, your anti-squat went away too. You went from 102 to 99. And some super bikes I've seen in the like 107 range or 105 range, you know? So how do you get that back? So you go over here and you put in the swing arm pivot. Let's just say we machined you a pivot. You put in a four. All of a sudden, your swing arm anti-squat went up to 105, just like that. Oh, shit. You know? But your rake still is no good. So if you had a rake kit, you know, you can come back in here. This is all because you extended the wheelbase. One simple thing, and then you wreck the whole bike, basically. Yeah. You know, without making all the changes. I mean, you can lower the bike and get the rake back. So you can lower the rear of the bike, or you can pick up the front of the bike. So let's say we zero that thing. That's the front fork position, right? So if you zero the front fork position, now you've gotten a 2388. You're still pretty damn shallow on that thing. So we make a rake kit and with our, we go with our triple clamp. So the steer axis angle here. So we'll just put in a, a one degree here, let's say. Now you've gone to 2469, so you've gotten a bunch of that trail back. Now you're like 111. So you can see how balancing out all these various numbers gets you, if you understand your motorcycle, you go, okay, this is what makes me happy, and you have solid numbers for it, you can actually go and play around with some of these settings if you're given the tools, like a triple clamp set, yeah, a pivot position change, a swing arm you can adjust length on. And people think, oh, sewer bikes just have fast engines. No, it's about controlling the power and how applying it as strong as you possibly can. Because, I mean, if you hear our bike, is still cutting. So if we're taking yeah. away 20 to 30% of the power, why do we want to make more? And that's what people understand. It's like, why, how could the Yamaha R1 be so damn fast? Why is it winning so many championships? Well, because the guys work a lot on how to make that bike accelerate, how to make it stop, how to make it turn. It isn't always about power. We're not a drag strip. Even a drag strip, you have to make the bike hook up, right? I think I, I think you just made a new T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. We're not at a drag strip. <laughs> yeah, well, nothing wrong with drag racing, but it's, it's only one component, you know, nice. of what we do. You know, we do drag race from corner to corner, so we kind of are. Drag race, to, of drag race to turn one. Yeah, you, you drag race from corner to corner, but you got you got to get a turn, stop, turn, and drag race again the next corner. So that's why you see MotoGP bikes are getting lower, longer, looking yeah. more like drag bikes when they launch the things, you know? So all these things here make a difference. So that's, hmm. that's what we played around with a lot. And then also because of the way the bike was, was reacting over the bumps, we played around with the top out spring. So we can have a look at this. So let's get rid of the chassis, let's get rid of that. And let's go like, I don't know, rear force, rear wheel force. And this bike's not a great, cause the bump stop or something here, it's not a great example, but you can kind of see so this little dude here that has that little knee there, yeah, you know, that little knee is caused by the top out spring. So the top out spring makes the bike softer near the top and then goes stiff all, all of a sudden when it leaves the top out spring. So if you want to try like a, they make basically top out spring wise, they make like 
a variety from Olin's. You can get a 100 by 8, you can get a 125 by 8. One, those numbers are all newton meters, like how stiff they are. Right. And 8 is the length. So if you go in here and you play around and say, I want a 188 by 8, short and stiff. So look what happened to this guy. Let me just put this, this back to, so you can only look at pop out springs and nothing else. Let's put this back at 606. And let's put the pivot back to zero. Okay, so now all the forces align except for the pop out spring, which is here. Okay. So if you go to 188.8, okay, this is the gray one, not the black one. You end up with right here, you end up with a softer, you go with a stiffer top out spring, you end up with a softer bike in the initial part of the stroke. So you think, oh, well, that's pretty good because I can go over bumps with it. Maybe if the bumps are flat, you know, but maybe not because you're trying to apply power and that soft setting is not returning the, the wheel to the ground. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So then you might have more anti-squat to fight that top out spring. It's all a balance of forces, right? We're always going back to uh, Newton, you know, damn figs. But he, he understood all this stuff, right? So you're trying to balance the forces out, how much you're accelerating, how long that swing arm is, how much anti-squat you have, the top out spring, all that stuff has to work together. So let's just say then you went to a real soft one, a 100 by eight. Now you made the bike stiffer down here, yeah. and less, less of a sudden, so, so up here, going this way is stiffer. The numbers are kind of on this side, but anyway, going this way is stiffer. Let me put the numbers over here. So rear wheel force. Okay, got some numbers there too. Okay. <laughs> we'll turn this one off. It's a pretty handy dandy little tool. Uh, Canadian dude makes this thing. Um, anyway, so you see here's a 350 Newtons here instead of 150. That's a big jump at the top. Uh, that's quite a bit firmer by just changing the top out spring. Or you might go 125. And then the other option is, you know, okay, so uh, maybe I want this thing to get stiffer later. You know, I don't want it stiff all of a sudden like this. So maybe I can go to a 12 millimeter one. Now I've made the thing softer a lot further down. So maybe I want to bring some of that back. And now, oh, I'm, I'm at the same position with 112 initially as a 150 by eight, but it's softer to a, uh, a further range wow. but sometimes people think oh softer is better but you know when you're working with our guys they want to be able to accelerate hard you know they're not looking right. for a comfy feel you know so you, you got to get that tire to return back to the ground and, and keep fighting for grip so if the engine you know you, as, as you make the bike longer let's say uh, and you make it uh, grip more electronics are going to say oh you're not spinning as much so I'm going to give you more power because that stuff, a lot of it's closed loop, right? So if you don't spin as much, it's trying to always get to that spin target. And because the traction control gets that spin target, that's when the, the, the TC cut happens. So it goes, okay, I'm gonna give you more power because you're not spinning enough. And so you don't have a big enough differential between the front and rear. So it actually goes and it, it, it adds more power naturally. So what happens when you have more power? When the thing goes from grip to slip, it's more violent. Right, okay. As you make a bunch of grip, you got to deal with how you apply it, all these things you're dealing with, and how you apply all these forces. So it's a big balancing act, and the the most important thing for us is seeing information. I mean, if we're gonna do anything, are you done with this thing? Any questions on this? No, I, I I'm tripping out is on it, and a lot of people are like, "Oh my God, this is great!" University of Richard. 
Uh, I don't know about all that, but you can go to a real university in Europe and learn motorsports. There you go. It just costs you a lot of money. Yeah, so what what does this software package cost? I mean, I looked it up online. It's a subscription. Yeah, it's 13. I think, I think it's like for the pro part, I think it's $1,500 somewhat for the year. Yeah, 1350 USD, yeah, for the... Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So freaking Canadians making so much money. But anyway, he, he updates this thing all the time. So the beauty of his his little deal, which I got to talk to him about it. I can't keep... Pimping him out for free. Props. <laughs> Anyway, the beauty of his deal is he'll he'll supply you with all the chassis numbers. So let's just say you have a Ducati and you want you want all the numbers. He'll go, okay, well here's a Ducati file. I think oh, all shit. that stuff's on his website. So he's he's making off subscriptions like everybody else does. You know, I mean, a CAD program is a few grand a year, and 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 this this is the thing. You go, wow, that's thirteen hundred dollars a year. That's one hundred thirty dollars a month. If you're going to go out and go race, you're going to burn tires. You're going to burn. You're gonna take your truck or your your bike out there. You're gonna travel. You're gonna spend for a hotel, dude. 150 bucks a month is, or you know, you'd spend that every time you went out if you had a successful weekend, right? Right. I mean, uh, for more, 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 yeah. More so, information is super important. You know, if this is my, it is my sport. So we're always talking about information. But if I was a guy coming in, I try to learn as much as I can and try to get as much information I can about my bike, myself, all that stuff. And uh, try not to get distracted by too many uh, know-it-alls in the paddock. Right. Because there's always, really there's always that magic number guy that, you know, the suspension yeah, guy at the yeah, paddock. The, the guy that's like, oh, if you just use my stuff, you'll go two seconds faster. And there's no... Well, if you're eight seconds off the pace, you might be correct just by setting the preload. Right. Set your you sag, right? Faster. Set your sag, go two <laughs> seconds faster, right? Yeah, if you just go, I, you know, if you just clank the wrench underneath the bike and tell him you did something, if I go two seconds faster. Oh, clank the wrench, not even touch it. This is clank the wrench. Nice. Dude, wow. Carl Steyer, you know, our old uh, our old suspension guy used to do it at Pridmore. No shit. I have Jason would come in. I mean, uh, Jason's probably going to be upset at me, but whatever. Whatever. Uh, he would come in and Carl's like, ah, track's still cold. He would talk like that too. That's bullshit. I'm not doing anything on the bike. And Jason can be, I can't ride it, blah, blah, blah. You're, all right, I'll fix it. He'll take a wrench and bang it around underneath there a little bit and go, okay, it's good. <laughs> and come back in and go, yeah, I felt better. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, that kind of no. that kind of shows like how mental this game is, too. It's totally mental. But when you have two riders at a certain caliber and they both say the same thing, you know, then it's not mental. Right. You know, it's, it's actual physics. Yeah. Like, John and I argue about this. We arm wrestle quite a bit. And he's like, oh, and John's more of like a mental feel guy because he was a racer. And I'm like the physicist, he, crazy mad scientist on the team. He's the, you know, and, he's and, the and, Sherpa. And so we're always arguing about the direction of the bike. But it's it's good because it challenges both of us mentally. I, I, balance, I, you know, I, I, I refer to you as the, the super bike genius, and I refer to John as the super bike Sherpa. <laughs> Definitely more on the mental side. Yeah. You know, like touchy-feely, the rider's got to feel good. Um, or like, shut up, ride the motorcycle till it was like. Stop being such a pussy. Like, that's, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Nice. Nice. Yeah, so it works, though. His, you know? style, his style works for, for uh, certain things. And uh, I think we balance each other pretty well as far as that goes, you know. So, uh, got a couple more questions here. Um, irate Barry says, "Speaking of preload, what's the 
best way to approach that? Like what parameters and factors are the basics? Uh, you know, I, there's no magic number. It depends on how stiff your spring is. Sometimes we will go to a track that's got certain character and back to this whole top out preload, this, that top out spring. I mean, if you have a different top out spring, you might have a different preload. You got to know where, 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 where a feeling is good for you. And then as you change, you go, oh, does it feel good and why? And if you have some data and you have some information, then it makes it a lot easier to go through it all. And uh, it's hard for me to tell someone where to go with a certain number because I don't know how they ride. I don't know their bike. I don't know the shock. I don't know the tires. I don't even know how, what kind of gas tank they have and where they ride the motorcycle. Is, is he tall? Is he short? Is he sit on the... I mean, I'll, I'll use Irate Barry as an example. He's like five foot nothing, weighs like 90 pounds wet and rides like a ZX-10. Yeah, so, and here's the other misconception, right? So people say, oh, well, I don't weigh anything, so I don't need much preload. It's total BS. You know, you need, you, need, you need as much preload as you need to get around that corner to hold the bike up. And if, you, if you're light, you can, put, you can go through a corner faster. You know what that means? That means if you're going to ride at the edge of grip on the tire, back to the balance of forces. I keep talking about that. That means you're going to have to push down on the motorcycle with a certain amount of newtons of force to make to make that tire squish and grip and all that stuff, right? Right. That means you need a certain amount of spring to counteract that. Okay. And so the more grip you have, the more spring you need and all that kind of good stuff. Wow. So it's or a different linkage that ramps up faster or whatever the case may be. Again, with super bikes, it's so many components. You ride a stock motorcycle, you have less components to play with. You don't have pivots. You don't have this. You don't have that. So uh, here's an example. We were at VIR with that guy we, won't, we don't talk about often, right? On that when he were, when I was helping him with the Superstock thing, we won that championship. Yeah. Uh, we won a lot of races that year, and uh, we couldn't get to Greg Geary because we'd run that bike all the way to the end of the slots, and that's where it stayed all year. And it, it didn't matter because we would just opened the throttle more for the power at the torque side. So it didn't matter what gear, what 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 the track was. We just ran one gearbox the whole time, one one sprocket ratio. Yeah, 43. And, uh, you would just say, okay, it's kind of lugging, lugging here, which open the throttle more. Because you couldn't use all of it anyway, right? You're on the edge of the tire. Yeah. So as long as the guy's carrying momentum, you know, if you were a little bit lower on the RPM, you just gave him more throttle, more juice. And then when you got up in the taller gears, you were fine. So the VIR, for one reason or another, we couldn't get there. We were up against the limiter in that kink right there, dropping down and turn, turn two or whatever they call it, thing one, two or something. You know, uh, you go through, it's a kink in the straightaway and it drops down. So you... A lot of guys banging the limiter. We're banging the limiter pretty hard. So we had to shorten the bike because we had to go different sprockets. And to shorten the bike, I mean, you had to change a lot of stuff on the bike. We had to lower the front, you know, play around with it with a spring. With a spring, we had to play around with a bunch of different stuff. And we used Motospec back then to make everything balanced out again to make it feel like it was when it was long. And other than the fact it was wheeling more, it felt just the same. Hmm. You know, so as long as you know where you're at, and you know what your numbers are and you have some firm data, it's pretty easy to go there. That's that's one of the things that we, with our new swing arm, you know, we said, okay, we did this, our swing arm slope is now this, our anti-squat's like this, the flex is like this. These are the, this, this is the regimented list of things we want to do to combat that and make it better. And at the end, it was a success because the, both riders felt super comfortable on the bike and they went some of the fastest laps they've gone. I mean, what, you know. what you're saying also kind of, it, it, it's kind of backs up what you were saying at the last test because at the last test you were saying that the riders were 
I guess they were complaining that they had too much grip, but lap time wasn't there because they, you know, the bike was, I don't, I don't, I don't remember. It was, there was, yeah, there was multiple right. things. There was, there was the, the grip caused instability. So it was hard for them to focus on the exit, you know? And I remember going out to, to the corners because we started to, uh, started with the setting we left at, which we made it better. But we went through a lot of different changes to try to get there. And some of it was the wrong direction. You know, so sometimes you have to try certain things that are in the wrong direction to make sure check those off the list. So we know that doesn't work, you know, so let's not go there again. Or let's just keep that in our back pocket, say that doesn't work unless we change a bunch of other stuff to make it work. So when you when when you're testing, I, I mentioned it earlier before we went live, but, I, you know, I asked you is, you know, when you're testing this stuff, it's, you know, I was going to ask you. When, it's not all unicorns and butterflies, right? Like sometimes shit doesn't work and you're like, nope, crossing that off the list, not doing that. Well, that's why when you have a planned test <laughs> and you're not just, you know, going like this with a rider when he comes in and says something like, hmm, <laughs> that's interesting. It wasn't supposed to be like that. Anybody who says those words lost the rider. All right. You know, you got that befuddled look. Yeah. I've seen that a lot on crew. You've probably seen it on uh, what's that show that they're doing, Motor America? Um, yeah, uh, pressure, to pressure to rise. Yeah, sometimes they'll go in the pits and you'll see a rider pull up, and the guy's like, "Oh, hmm, really? Hmm. Yeah, okay." Rider just lost all his confidence. So that's why having a regimented test, you go down the list. Even if you thought the thing was going to work and it didn't, at least you go, "Okay, thank you." Next comment. You know down the list you go hmm so you have to have a plan that that makes total sense all right so let's get back to the tires thing i mean at the test did you guys did were you guys testing on that new tire or were you having no, no. no all the old stuff really what's up with that they're not available yet mm, okay everybody's got, everybody's got the production gremlins i guess you know the, the extreme cold over there i guess uh they were saying that uh, not all workers were allowed to drive on the highways because New York shut the roads down or something. I guess that happens over there. That's I guess weird. it's too dangerous, too snowy, and they don't want to be picking people up off the side of the road dead. So they close the close the highways or they curfew or something. I don't know. Because I've heard, you know, I've heard Bryce Prince talking about getting to test the new tire at some of the races at like Chuck Walla even. Yeah, you know, and sometimes. I'm, and I'm like. How is Bryce getting did, the new one or something? I don't know. When we did that test at uh, at Buttonwillow in November, in was it November December was when they did the Q5 launch. Yeah, was it Q5? Yeah, so I, I lose track. Q4, Q5, Q6. But anyway, so yeah. one of those Q tires. Yeah. Uh, when they did that, there was probably some leftovers. Okay. From that run, I'm thinking. I don't know. I'm making excuses for Dunlop. Maybe <laughs> they just didn't want to have the tires. I have no idea. <laughs> 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 they're trying to they're trying to uh well because they're afraid that you're going to spend all their all the time coding them that's yeah like, we'll be now in the first yeah. event like three months yeah yeah we're gonna put them all yeah i mean if you we're, start we're now you'll be ready right i mean yeah we're gonna go to new york we're gonna go to buffalo we're gonna coat all the tires in the, in the warehouse yeah as <laughs> they come off the mold <laughs> right on and then you know there's a couple people asking if uh if that new tire that you're talking about is going to be available to the mortals Yes. I guess once I they so. once they start talking to the keeper or whoever. Yeah. 
Yeah. The idea is, yes, I mean, Bryce Prince out riding around with him. I think he's pretty mortal. There you go. Yeah, I mean, he's like uh, he's like the top club guy, basically, in all the clubs. But... I mean, he's got a business out there, too, out in the, Dude, out in the valley there. You know what? Bryce actually just uh, closed. In Bakersfield, right? Yeah, he closed on the at that Valley Cycles there. So he owns a Yamaha dealer now. Yeah, I know. I remember yeah. uh, Will's, I guess Will's friends with him. I know he was on our, he was, we were helping him. He bought, um, he bought a means bike after uh, Heron won the championship. That guy won the championship. Yeah. That's what's mentioned his name. And uh, man, they couldn't grab their ass with both hands with that bike. Yeah. They did terrible on it, you know? Yeah. And he, and Heron smashed everyone. It just comes to show you that, that um, it all depends on what the rider wants and the feel he wants. And probably had no confidence in his crew because they're all a bunch of yokels anyway at the time. So I remember I was in the truck and, I, and there was a whole lot of this going on. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I'm like, why don't, you, why don't you guys quit reinventing that bike? Just put it back to when it was winning everything and learn how to ride it. Well, I mean, he seems to be pretty switched on on the R1 now. I mean, the guy. Yeah, I mean, he's got enough laps. He should be. I mean, you know, it was uh, it's pretty crazy at the club races. You know, CRA had their first round for the season last weekend, and you know, I was up in the tower with uh, timing and scoring and uh, race director basically, and I watched the Super Sport Thousand race, and it looked like the BPR Cup. You know, it's like a bunch of those guys in riding those things. So, um, he he's got it figured out. Some he's got something figured out. That's good. Like, so when when somebody finds a comfort zone, I think that's. That makes it better, but you know, Chuck Walla is not exactly a technical track. Oh, this is that Button Willow. No, oh, Button Willow is yeah. pretty technical. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't go there anymore, so I just go to Button Willow now. No, I just heard from Dale that uh, Dale Kiefer, that is the Dunlop guy, that uh, he was out there, and he went like a second faster than new tires or something like that. Something that, yeah, that like, a second faster he ever gone around Chuck Walla, and uh, he beat Ozzy Dave, which he never does. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, it, the, you know the character of that place, right? So. Yeah, there's no character. You just lean it over. It's like a, it's like a go kart version of, uh, of uh, Big Willow. Okay. No talent required. Wow. <laughs> I just, I'm just, 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 so I don't get in trouble here. I, you said it, not me, right? Okay. Just. I said it. Yeah. <laughs> I was just saying that 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 it's. I know Mickey's gonna be all pissed at me up. I never get a chance to go there ever again. But you know, it's 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 what it is. I I wish those guys would build a bigger racetrack. You can't take a super bike there and learn anything. There this you is go. What it is. Wow, that's I've uh... done it. I tried. It's worthless. The info you get you gain is worthless for our tracks. Maybe it's good for that track, but you don't get any info that's worth anything at the national level. So back to the test, you know, the, the uh, Cameron ended up riding the Superbike the second day, and yeah. they both, both riders ended up within like a tenth of each other, uh, fast, yeah, yeah. 41 well, something. Yeah, Jake fell down a couple sessions from the end, and in Jake's style, and completely rode off the bike. Yeah, it was, uh, I had to teach the guys, you know, they acted like a bunch of fucking rookies out there with crash truck duty. Our crew? Yeah, like, I was like, guys, it won't roll, so you gotta roll a tie strap through the rear wheel. And so we dragged, I, I, did, I had to teach the boy, like, John. It was pretty funny. 
Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, he's been on the on the receiving end of crashing, not the put it in the truck end of crashing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he's been the he's been the guy with the helmet on, the gloves, going. Yes. What do I do now? Right. Yeah, so, you know, it reminds well, me of, and this is this is long time ago. I think I was in junior high school or something. I went out to watch uh, at, at Ontario. They used to have a a, a racetrack. And they used to have uh, right in Ontario. I don't know yeah. if it's a mall right now or yeah, what. Yeah, I think you know, that's. You know, I think like this big old speedway. Yeah, I think the Ontario Mall is where the racetrack was. Yeah. Yeah, and they had an endurance race, a Honda Ontario six hour, and Eddie Lawson was out there on Kawasaki or something, and somebody cut in front of him in the carousel, and he and he tagged the back of him, fell over. You know, he's coming through the pack basically. He tagged the he tagged the back marker and and. So he fell over and he just walks away all pissed off and and uh so the 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 crash crew go out there and the one guy's trying to pick up on the back of the bike you know he grabs a tail <laughs> rips it right off the yes. motorcycle so that's that's crash truck guys for the most part you know there's some good ones but man they'll if, if your stuff's not solid they might wreck if they don't know what they're doing with straps and all that they'll they'll further damage your motorcycle yeah i mean when your motorcycle's as fucked up as Jake's was, though, it's like it really doesn't matter at that point, right? Like it's more like get the thing out. Uh, of I mean, the gas tank, believe it or not, I mean it. It must have flipped end over end because the gas tank hardly got it. Yeah, got a little scratch on it. Yeah, but it broke the dash off. You know, sent it sailing like as usual. You know, it broke the rear wheel, bent the swing arm, did all a bunch of damage. Back to the non anno thing, you know, like yeah, that's warm. We can put it back in the fixture, straighten it. The material we use is so good that uh, it, it, you can bounce it back pretty good. And then, you know, down to the thousandths of an inch and put it back, back in service again. Yeah, I think the, the, only, the only real complaint after the strap through the rear wheel thing is the height of my truck. Uh, the boys were definitely less yeah, stoked on yeah. that. But I'm like, dude, yeah. I had a truck out here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't come in, so I'm like, hmm, I think it's worse than we think. Yeah. I don't know what it is about Jake crashing bikes. I mean, he, they're never very good. I and mean, the one at Brainerd he got away with, you know, the, the one where he spun around. Yeah. Fell over and was able to race and, and finish. And yeah. Win, even though the forks were, I mean, the clamps were bent and the thing was like off to one side and he still <laughs> went out and won the race. It comes to show you that the guys were all finicky about their handlebars not being straight or yeah. this thing being perfect and all that stuff. BS. Wow. And Jake can win with the, with the forks twisted. Yep. You know, so, but, you know, Cameron, he'll fall over and he'll pick it up like he did at, at, uh, at um, uh, Barber, yeah. last race, or first race. He won the second one, but he was, he was kind of chasing Jake and he got a little anxious and he tipped over in turn two. He's able to pick that thing up and finish in the top ten or whatever he finished. Yeah. You know? So, I don't know what it is. Cameron keeps riding him and Jake comes in the truck. Yeah, we got to knock that shit off. At least he's doing it in the preseason. Just get it out of the way. Yeah, yeah, we're we're really, you know, kind of, like, uh, you know, fingers crossed that we'll actually be able to uh, get a good first race in with him. Like two years in a row, we haven't had a good first round. Yeah, I mean, he joked with me, he joked with me uh, last season while uh, sitting on the sidelines for a little bit, and he's like, "That's it. Next year, I'm skipping round one." <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Save us some money, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, so anyway, yeah, so. Uh, Wrapping up the test stuff, you know, at one point during the weekend, I, uh, during the test, I, I strolled over to the garages and there was 
There was this dust everywhere all over the... Let me show you some data before we get into that. Yeah, let's talk about data. Yeah, so people probably go, how do you know that you're actually accelerating that fast? Or how do you know it's actually better if the lap times are so close because the track is worse or something like that? You know, so we, we analyze just about like every corner by itself, right? It's yeah. its own little subgroup of the whole racetrack. So the, yeah. the, the area where we were, we were struggling with was, was uh, that, what do you call that thing again? Off-ramp? Off-ramp, yep. Yeah. Final dust off, the last corner. What's it called again? Sunset. Sunset, yeah, whatever. Off-ramp and sunset. Turn two and the last one. I think you can call it 10 or something. Yeah. So let me, let me share some of this data with you, and then you can look at it, and, and then, yeah, you can do what you want with it at that point. Okay. Um, window, this one. Okay. All right. Coming up. There it is, right? Yep. See it? So this is all Can a bunch of gobbledygook. data. <laughs> yes. Here it is. Like, uh, you probably can't see my mouse, but anyway, so you can see me moving the... That thing around? Yes. Yeah, so right about in that area, you got, uh, let me see here. See this um, blue line? Yes. That measures the acceleration of the bike going forward. It's called the x-axis TC acceleration, and it's in Gs. So it maxes out, the sensor actually maxes out 10 Gs, and then it kind of goes down from there. So that's how hard the guys are accelerating, 9.88 or something like that. And then... Over here, the red was that qualifying big tire that we got in November. Okay. That he went 40 with. Right. Blue green is the standard tire. So you can you can see that we're actually able to make the standard tire that tick better on acceleration than the qualifying tire with the previous last year's setup. So, so this is kind of the area where we worked on. This is what we shows us some of the information. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. We can, we can quantify what we did. So and then with the that, new tire, some, the new tire should yeah. even be better, right? Yeah. So I mean, if you, we had hours and hours, I could show you a lot more stuff, how the rear suspension go over bump, goes over bumps and things like that. But you know, we're not, it's, 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 it's a little confusing. Some of it. So you have to understand what's happening to the whole motorcycle, but yeah. So the, with the new tire, we're hoping to, what we'd like to see is see what the acceleration maintains. Um, let me move this over see what the acceleration maintains in this area. Yeah you know, up over the other one, the other one starts dropping, dropping, dropping. We've had runs where we've actually not dropped at all. And we've gone straight across from this point to that point. Wow. Yeah. So we're trying to focus on that and see if we can make it actually a little bit better than that with that respect. So that's, that's how we get, we're able to look at the, uh, the information and, and see what we got. So I got some more questions coming in. Um, just before we continue on with our, the rest of the tests part that we were just, I was just about to talk about, but, um, let's just see. A message here. Like how you get, you get notes and I get notes to mention. Yeah. Like how, uh, uh so Chuck Chiaquetto from Westby sending us another frame to do. Cause I guess I reminded him. Oh there were frames. yeah, exactly. Hey Chuck, go to sleep, man. It's late over there in Atlanta. Yeah, dude. Like it's <laughs> way, it? it's clearly way past Chuck's bedtime. Right. Uh, nah, sometimes he calls me pretty late at night. Yeah. I call him or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, a whole lot of stupid nothings, you know, bearded Jixer, uh, Ernie, uh, he's a racer with CRA as well. Um, how long are wheels typically used? Is there like a certain number of laps that you guys put on them before you rotate them out? You know, you know, uh, that's, that, that's an interesting question because we we're just talking about magnesium wheels and, and back in the day, you can only use them for a season. 
now it's just a matter of the wheels last. I mean, it's a matter of when they get broken, when they get bent to the point of no repair and how the grip on the outside gets worn. And you could probably refab those things I and mean, you can freshen them up. They haven't been cracking, you know, un until you break them. They, they've been pretty damn good. It's really surprising. I mean, you're, you're going to get some wear probably where the push drive drives it on the rear. And you're going to lose some of the, the grip around the rim that holds the tire in place. So, but some guys have been re refurbishing their wheels because it's hard to get stuff right now. You know, to get wheels, the long wait time. So, we'll, we'll probably end up refurbishing a few of ours, put some new bearings in them. Uh, try to try to uh, re-coat re, uh, re the grippy part. You know, but if it gets too too dinged up, too scratched up, too wobbly, we toss it. They become wall art at the painters. Something. Right? I saw yeah. I saw Matt Scott one of them. Usually we do ours in before that, you know. Right. Turbuche style. Yeah. Turbuche, mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you could make a clock out of it and sell it, right? I mean. Yeah, maybe even with a bent piece broken out of it. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and then Ty says he's not going to lie. Pretty annoying that there's no Motor America Stock Thousand race on the West Coast this year. Um, uh, you know, uh, they they did Stock Thousand in World Superbike. Did they? Yeah, yeah. Because you know Mercado was the Stock Thousand champion. But if you remember, we were there. There was no Stock Thousands. It's Super Sport. You know, they they brought in the Junior stuff. So kind of Stock Thousand. I mean, if you're going to race Stock Thousand, it really should be in Superbike. You know, leader bike. Um, Stock Thousand's fun. You know, they tried to do it as a premier class before, but nobody cared. Right. You know, for Stock Thousand. And I know it's, a lot of people think it's cheaper, but why not just enter Superbike or Superbike Cup? You know, whatever those classes are. Yeah. It's kind of class within a class and do it that way. But uh, yeah, I think I think Stock Thousand will eventually go by the way of the Dodo, just like it did in World Superbike. But I don't know. I don't know what the, the great minds of. Motor America and the planners are got in mind for the future. Right, right. Um, let's see. What brand of, uh, brand Green wants to know what brand of wheels the team uses. I believe you guys are OZ. using OZs, right? Yeah. Yep. Same ones on my Porsche. Oh, well, there not you go. Not the exact same ones, obviously. Clearly not the same ones on the Porsche. But Dude, I'm, I'm surprised how inexpensive they are for cars. Yeah. At least they used to be. Yeah, they're cheaper than the damn tires. No shit. About the same price, yeah. Wow. Okay, well, um, yeah, there you go. Um, and then let's see what else. Uh, Pinky was talking about data. He says, can we talk a little bit about the, the pros and cons of flashing an ACU, and how does that compare to the race ECU? The race ECU is just better. You know, the, the, the pro is you're going to get a pro setting up your torque maps. And so uh, there's somebody who knows what they're doing. Not a guy with a flash and some tables goes, I can fix you right up. Right. And, uh, you know, that, that goes and adds a bunch of power to your bike and you can't ride it. Again, back to the conversation we're having about uh, anti-squat and top-out springs and grip versus torque and all those things that we balance out to make the bike accelerate. Yeah. Axis acceleration and blah, 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 all that stuff. Yeah, some, some yokel goes in and types in a bunch of numbers and re removes that off your list. You know, nice. then you come in and go, I don't know. Somebody named Dustin probably comes in and goes, I don't know. I'm not, I'm thinking about not riding anymore because it's no fun. And that's, that's <laughs> I mean, a fact. What happened? Oh, I don't know. Some dude put an ECU in my bike. I can't ride it. 
And you're like, you're an idiot. The, the, the advantage of the, so if you want to go develop all your own power strategies, good on you. You can go flash an ECU and go through all the trouble. And, uh, but if you want a pre-built, you know, canned stuff that works, you know, the, 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 uh, the ECU is good. The, the problem is you don't have a ECU for every bike. So some bikes you have, all you have is a flash. So you should have somebody that knows what they're doing with a flash. Have they figured out how to flash the new R1s anyway yet? Like, I don't... Uh, some guys say they did, but it's probably just a few tables. Right. They've been able to crack into... I don't think Flashtunes still cracked it. They were talking so about they, making their own ECU, right? I, I know there's... Uh, some guys would want to do that, but that's a bunch of trouble, too. Right. And, I mean, the race kit ECU is just so trouble-free. It's just not... You know, if you can get it, we sell out every one we do. Like, we're, we're back-ordered now, and the next batch is probably gone, too. Right. And because uh, we only order it, I think, three times a year. Right. That's the way the race kit stuff is. You got to buy it in advance, way in advance, like four months in advance. Yeah. You know, and um, so then we try to stock up as much as we can. We always seem to uh, underestimate what people want because we keep, oh, we're out, you know, right. a month from before the new stuff shows up. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I can't say enough about having a proper. ECU with proper torque tables that you can just pick one and go, oh, I want number 11. Oh, that was too strong. Let's go back to number 10. Yeah. I've gone you all know, up and, easy, right? I've gone all up and down that trying it and it's, it's pretty amazing what it does. And you know, I, yeah, it's different gears, different this and yeah. that, you know? Yep. So like that, those, those ETV tables on the Yamaha stuff are so key, you know? Yeah. Well that, you know, the Morelli software, the latest stuff, Massimo and those guys at World Superbike, they built a bunch of tables like that that are pre-canned. So if anybody's stepping up into our, our series that wants a Morelli system, you know, they're hard to get. You have to be a pro racer and you have to have a real data guy controlling it for you. But they have a lot of pre-canned stuff. You just say, oh, I want map three in that gear. Well, that was too strong or too soft. Go with map four. And it's a little bit wild at the end. So let's clip it on, on this particular clipping like you do with the, with the kitty ECU. And, right. and they have it all pre-canned. They did their homework. So same kind of guys that did that are doing the kitty ECUs. So nice. I think there's, I think it's just too easy to to just put it in and go. If you're a, if you're a gearhead and you really want to play around with tables, you know, a bunch of numbers, then have at it. You're just going to spend a lot of money at the racetrack, right? On tires and fuel and everything else, right? All right. So back to the test. You know, like I was saying earlier, I I walked over to the garage and I saw dust all over the floor in the Westby garage. And what I didn't know, or what I missed, was what they later posted a video on their Instagram. Yeah, that was that was uh, Motor America was there interviewing. Yeah, you know, like preseason thing. Carruthers. Carruthers, yeah, Carruthers was there, and he was interviewing some people, and and uh, I guess uh, Matt Skoltz was getting interviewed, and all of a sudden this big fireball fireball erupted on the Westby bike. Right. And. I was on the other side. We're looking at some data with Marshall and stuff. And all of a sudden, Matt came running over and says, fire, fire, fire extinguisher. Please, 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 fire extinguisher. Yeah. And I was like, what? Fire extinguisher? <laughs> so Fernando grabbed the fire extinguisher and went running over there. I see all the smoke come over the, because the garage is divided by walls, but there's like a little air gap. Yeah. So I see all the smoke and look like dust come over onto our bikes, you know, like completely flooded both garages. And, uh, Man, I tell you, the the Westby guys were on it. They were on that thing with the, with the fire bottles really quick. Yeah, and it turned out it was a it was a, a polymer. I mean, a, a, a lithium polymer battery like you'd use in a, a drone or a remote control car or something like that. And uh, it had some type of 
I would assume it had some type of internal short or maybe got dinged up in a crash. Don't really have all the data on it. And, uh, and doing a little bit more research and what they were testing, they were testing this battery, you know, some experimental thing, I guess. And I think they might have run it a couple times before, but there's some advantages to that type of battery because the packaging, the weight. So everyone in motorcycle racing is trying to get their advantage, you know? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to put this battery on, it's lighter. Oh, it's flatter. It fits here better. I don't have to have a, uh, a battery box looking thing to fit somewhere. Right. And every, all these bikes are really, really tight with data and harnesses and things like that. So you're always trying to find some spot on the motorcycle to put something, you know? We use up every millimeter of our bike pretty much. And so they had this, this lithium batteries on the side of the frame, right near the regulator. But it's a lithium polymer, which is different than a lithium ion. Guy racing down Shit, the it's bike there. night, isn't it? No, no, they haven't had bike night because it's been pretty cold. So I'm kind of glad about the cold. Right. A little bit cold. Nothing like it is at other places. I mean, we're wussies here in California, right? Right. You know, it drops down to the 50s. We're like, oh, it's so cold. But anyway, so that this polymer battery, I guess they had some type of problem with it. It might have got heat soaked and bloated. So I started doing a little more research on, online about polymer battery fires. It seems like that's a, that's a thing. No shit. Even radio control land. So. I did a little research on what the what the temperature range is on those things. It's supposedly not supposed to be in a in a container over sixty C. Oh wow. Sixty C is nothing. I mean the frame sees hundred C sometimes. The engine's hundred C, so the frame gets almost equally hot, you know, right. at least eighty or ninety C. So maybe the thing got heat soaked sitting there. But the bike wasn't running, it wasn't on a charger, it just all of a sudden spontaneously combusted. That's good. And then blew up. Yeah, I mean I the you know, the Westby guys so I've since I've since uh, did a little bit of research. Yeah, and uh, sent Motor America a note saying that I think they should consider uh, not allowing polymer batteries in motorcycles because they're not the the way a polymer battery works. It's got all these individual cells, and all those individual cells add up to a certain voltage. And you know it's supposed to be a, within a certain percent of max voltage and a certain percent above minimum voltage. And uh, otherwise, you either kill the battery or you overcharge it. I think it's bloated and might have a, a combustion problem. And the motorcycle charging system is not made for that. It, it doesn't have that special charger that the RC guys use. Right. You know, it doesn't have that individual cell balancing this, that. It's a special connector that connects the battery. It doesn't have any of that. So the, the, the charging system is just going to keep on charging the battery. And if you have a cell go down, you've got a weak cell, let's say, you have 16 volts and the cell maxes out at 4.2 and your charging system, uh, you know, your, your whole battery uh, is like 16 volts and your one cell is four. Take out four, now the other, if we have one bad cell, now the other, the other cells have to max out at, right, 12. Right. And your alternator puts out, your regulator puts out 14.4. Now you're overcharging those things and you're, you're going to make an explosion because you have nothing there that's going to stop it from charging. The thing will keep taking it and bloating and bloating and bloating until it goes bang. Well, they so the the boys left them behind um, in the garage, and I ended up with them at the track. And I was like, "What the fuck am I going to do with these?" And it, I would discharge them. I would discharge them because you can't throw them away. Right. Charged up, and then toss them somehow. Recycle them. I wouldn't use them. I left them at the track. But Not on a motorcycle. If you have a drone helicopter and you got a good charger. You might be able to do it, but I've seen video of people crashing drones and having them spontaneously combust. Really? Wow. Yeah. Or, or their little, you know, off-road cars. The thing noses in, you know, might hit the battery on a rock or something like that. All of a sudden, the thing will start steaming off. 
And once it steams off, that means it's got an internal short and, and all the polymer comes flying out when the polymer reaches air, boom. I mean, it, it, they, it, doesn't, it doesn't need air to combust. It'll burn underwater. They, they look like no battery I've ever seen before. They, you know, they look like it's about, I don't know, about like that big around and yeah, about, like, about like that thick. And yeah. um, it looked well, like, that's the beauty of that, that type of battery is the, is the packaging. It looked like the it looked like they dumped all the chemicals into a super tight Ziploc bag, wrapped it up in cellophane and called it and put wires in it. That's what it looked like to me. Yeah. I mean, uh, battery I in a bag. <laughs> I saw one of those batteries uh, a while ago that I, I talked to our battery guy uh, at Full Spectrum, Jason. Yeah. That's what we use. We use the Full Spectrum batteries. And, and he said, dude, don't run that battery. First of all, you can't even ship it anywhere without, without being in a fire bag. And you don't want to, you know, you have to be very, very specific about how you charge it. So we kind of went through all the negatives. And uh, he said, let's just stick with lithium ion, which is what just about everybody uses right now. Okay. Even, the, you know, Tesla and all that stuff. Formula One cars. You know, they're, I don't know what their latest technology is, but as far as I know, they've been using lithium ion for their, for their booster battery. You know, the one that gives you another 160, 200 horsepower yeah. on the electric side. And those things charge fast and they, and they dump fast, like really fast. In the lap, they'll go to full blank, no, no battery to full charge in the lap. Yeah. You know, so that kind of technology, but they, they're using coolers on their batteries. They're, 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 putting, they're putting the batteries inside nitrogen. Yeah, you know stuff that the motorcycle doesn't have. So, I think the best thing to do is make sure you get a battery in a reputable place that's made for motorcycles, has been tested thoroughly, and just take check, check that thing off your list. You know, yeah, I, mean, I know that yeah. you guys aren't going to go down that path again, but yeah, I mean, yeah. look, fortunately everybody was there, right? I mean, that that could have been really bad if that had happened while everybody was gone for the night at the hotel, right? So. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. You know, I mean, what about if it was the, the truck was driving down the road? Right. Or if, um, you know, somebody was pouring gas. Right. I mean, all kinds of things. They were, they were out in pit lane and it caught a bunch of tents on fire. You know, I mean, yeah. all kinds of stuff. Yeah. You know, it's not just it's not just the Westby guys. I mean, other guys who are doing that with batteries, they got to think twice. Yeah. About what they're doing. I mean, I just they think I, I, we were talking about a track side. I was thinking about that Moto E thing where it like basically wiped out a fire wiped out their whole, the whole pit, right? Everybody in the class. I mean, if, you, if you do enough research <laughs> online, I mean, lithium, lithium ion battery can catch on fire too. You pretty much have to put drive a stake through it. You know, you can cause an internal short and it'll blow it up and, and catch on fire, but it's nothing like a lithium polymer. Okay. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the Moto E things, yeah, for sure. The whole battery thing right now, it's, it's they're trying to push energy in the small, smallest possible package and, and they're, you know, they're cut. They have to be very, very careful about charging, discharging, and how they go about doing it. It's it's uh, it's an interesting field that that they're doing, and a lot of people get into it because of the whole car thing, you know. Yeah. And there's a lot of those. And you go on Amazon, they got tons of lithium polymer batteries all over the place. Cheap. Very tempting. Yeah, cheap shit Don't is still that. shit, though. That's a good policy. Well, to I mean, by. If you have a special charger that can charge your battery, <laughs> and then the cranking and, and the cranking of the thing, and the, the sudden discharge and the full charge from the alternator. That's what those batteries really hate. Yeah, they're made to be charged up on a bench somewhere. Yeah, under control, and then and then and every cell monitored within like whatever it is, eighty percent or ninety percent of full charge. Then you put it in your electric car, and you go drive it around till it's slowing down, you take it out and put the other battery in and put that thing back on the bench. One of the first things they tell you about those batteries too is don't walk away from it when you're charging. I mean, 
Come on, do, you, do we all want to sit there and stare at our, at our batteries while it's charging? No one does that. Well, the people sitting in, the, in their Teslas do, right? <laughs> they sit in their Tesla, but that's a different battery. Right. Yeah, those, yeah. those are lithium ion. Yeah. As far as I know. Yeah. Lithium ion, that's the big thing, you know, but not lithium polymer. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm getting a comment from um, Tim P, and he's like, you know, look, you know, you don't know until you test, and that's why they call it a test. You can't really be mad at them. No, I'm not mad no, at all. No, not at all. You know, I'm just, I'm just glad it happened in a, in a relatively safe condition. Yeah. I mean, that could have happened on the racetrack. It could have happened, like I said, the tractor trailer. The guy could have been leaning over the bike pouring gas. Wow. You know, what would you do if you were pouring gas and, and all of a sudden the battery went poof, start popping, and did, you're going to drop that gas and run. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. You know, either you're going to be on be, fire or there'd be fire. There, there'd be ball. fire yeah. behind my feet, dude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but those guys are really, really fast with the fire extinguisher. They were, man. They definitely yeah, were. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I think we're going to call them the Westby Fire Fire Department. Yeah. Yeah. You, I even uh, have a logo. You have a logo. logo for them. I, uh, maybe they'll wrap it on the side of the semi. What do you think? What do you think? I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna show you the logo. Don't don't be upset, Chuck. I know he's he's really sensitive about this. God damn it! But, Here we uh, go. Yeah, let me let me share. You know, I'm gonna have to make. Uh, I'm gonna have to make Ed a, uh, a fireman shirt or something, right? Yeah. So it's so, all right. Let me see here. Where are we at? Uh, you send me that. I'll make sure I get it by Daytona, so we could give it to him. Can you see it? Let's see, what do we got here? Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's bold and black, just like the bike. Oh, dude. <laughs> it's so perfectly. Jesus. I mean, they're so fast with that, with those bottles. I'm they, like, they are, dude. <laughs> they put that thing out quick. There was hardly any damage on the bike. Uh, you should send me that, and I will make, I will make, Chuck and and uh, Ed a T-shirt with that on there. No, you should get them all hats, all right. like a little fire. Oh shit! We could go to like go to the toy store and get the the, the fireman hats. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Oh, Greg's gonna hate me. <laughs> oh, you know Chuck's gonna choke me to death, and then he sees me too. I'll, I'll make I'll have I'll have my sticker guy make stickers for that too. We'll pass yeah, them out. Oh my God! I mean, that's my, that's my poor skills in you know Adobe Illustrated. You know, just take two logos and stick them together. That's, <laughs> took all two seconds. That's pretty great, man. <laughs> that's pretty great. And and you know what? Like the fact that nothing happened. You know, we can kind of laugh about well, it now. They have, they have some, some wiring problem. They burnt up their bodywork a little bit, but yeah, for the most part, yeah. I thought it was a fuel fire. You know, like they had a, a leaky gas tank. But even then, I'm like, how could that happen? Because you usually need a spark, right? Yeah, that thing just went up by itself. It's super scary. Yeah. The fact that you're driving around with a bomb underneath you the whole Dude. time. Like, I would not take those batteries you have. I would ditch those things. Oh, I didn't keep them, man. I left them at the track, dude. There's, oh, no. Yeah. Some poor guy. There's a video of, of, of a trash guy throwing the trash away. And as they compact the trash, the thing goes boom in, in the trash truck. So, uh, <laughs> this is fucked up. Maddie says that... Um, I'm just mad that I. I'm just jealous that I didn't have. I didn't get a chance to put my fire extinguisher skills to the test. <laughs> wow. No. Yeah. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. That was scary. You know, I mean, there was there was a lot going on, and 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 uh, you know, obviously, if it's your team, you're kind of, you'd be kind of upset. Oh, 100%. percent. A chuckle with it, but 
You know how many times I saw our front end flying through the air three stories up? Every every time they played, you know, yeah. like the, the, the pre prequel to the next race, you know, it's, and then Jake has a crash. Here's our front end flying through the air. It was right off $40,000 right there, you know? Yeah. And uh, so anyway, it's just part of the sport. There's, yeah. The guys are going to report some of the good and the bad, what's happening in testing. I remember, um, um, what do you call it? Uh, uh, I think it was uh, Tech Trois on the Yamaha. They had a they had a battery problem with one of their um, uh, bike starters. Oh, at Coda, and lift, and uh, the, set off the uh, sprinklers in uh, at Coda, and it flooded their whole garage oh, garage shit. area. They had like water in their in their toolboxes, and, oh, and wow. they had left that thing on charge and went went home, and the and the thing caught on fire. Wow. I don't know what kind of battery they were using. I, I remember that, that that guy who made those those char, um, those starters. There was a pretty cool starter, all carbon fiber and had a very small power pack. So who knows? Maybe he was experimenting with some polymer stuff too. Wow! But uh, it almost uh, burnt down the garages. That's scary. That's luckily they have a really good sprinkler system, Dakota. Yeah. Yeah, we, there, there's no. Garage. That's when they were Yamaha. There's no sprinkler system that but the button will hook garages, right? So, uh, no, no, no. metal roof though. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily there's not too much, um, fuel there, you know, inside that battery. Cause it's a very small right. package. It makes a big fireball. Yeah. And then they were hitting it with the extinguisher, I guess a lot. And the thing would not go out. So yeah. somebody finally grabbed it, threw it outside, like pulled it off the frame. Yeah. 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 I, I, I had that one in my hand and I was like, Ooh, maybe I shouldn't be touching this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, probably not. So uh, you got another test what next week, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so what, are, what are we so what are we week, testing? Yeah. What are we testing next week? Uh, well, I got props today, right? So yeah. next week we'll be trying this little baby out. Oh, fresh in from Suter, since nice. now we're all legal uh, to use these baskets. Pretty damn cool. Look at they polished all the gears. Nice. It's all billet basket backside. Look at the backside. Comes with titanium screws. This is a, and, the, and the actual gear hub is all lightened. Nice. This is almost a pound lighter than for you guys to talk English. This is almost a pound lighter than uh, the stock basket. And it doesn't have the springs in it, so I'm thinking we're not going to have as much stuff coming off this basket because we always, you know, find a little bit of wear items in, in the in the filter and the pickup screen, and that's stuff. You know, like the springs moving around and getting worn, and they're yeah. always flicking something off. So, pretty cool little thing. We'll see how. How the acceleration is? We'll go back to our x-axis acceleration and be able to measure. And it's still a it's, it's still a wet clutch, right? Like there's a oh yeah, it's not a dry clutch. Yeah. You're not allowed to do that. But all it is is just a basket. Yeah, you know, you replace the exact yeah. stock basket. I wish I had a stocker here to show you, but I don't. In, insert uh, Maddie Testa wanting to order one of those too, probably. Um. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Why don't you just buy one of our super bikes into the, the season? He'll be happy. Dude, he should. Happy. He should. Come on, Maddie. Yeah. Or rob a bank or something. Yeah, that. Get another Grammy, dude. Maybe they'll give you some more money. Um, <laughs> yeah, something. That's, you know, he's in that world. He's, like, in music and stuff. And I know he's a producer, and I think he's a Grammy Award winner. So, Is he? Yeah. You can afford a superbike. Yeah, there you go, Maddie. You can afford a superbike. Stop nickeling and diamond with the stalker. And He'll eventually pay that same amount of money. He'll just be in pieces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. All right, man. Yeah, well, yeah, this is a pretty cool little deal, though. We're, we're going to be we're glad to have a, have a go at it. 
Right on. Well, I, I guess I'll see you guys at the next test before, it's the last one before Daytona, right? Yeah, is it that time already? Oh, it is 8 o'clock. Holy crap, that went by fast. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. All right, All right man. Yeah, my back's telling me it's time to leave. Yes. All right, Richard. Well, thank you for your time and uh, talking to me and talking smack and stuff. So uh, I guess I'll see you at the test next week. Yeah, man. It'll be fun. All right. We got one rider. One rider. So no yeah. chance Cam's going to make that one, huh? I don't know. I'll find out tomorrow. But, I, you know, you have surgery on your wrist or, or, or forearms or whatever. I mean, it's more important that he's 100%. Yeah. Because we see it in the testing that he... He can go out and he can do the lap. The guy's super talented. He can do the lap. Same as Jake. Yeah. Just can't do it every single lap. And I, I know that it's been an issue to be super consistent. So anything you can do to make it better, is, um, I'm all thumbs up with you know, for that. Right on. So I'd rather have him healthy for Daytona than go out and do one more test. That that's, makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Well, cool. Cool, man. All right, man. Well, uh, see you at the test. Later. Later.